Well, I'm walking in what was the center of Ephesus, and really in Paul the Apostle's day would have been the center of the world. Everything converged right here. To my left here is one of the world's largest agoras. It's a huge commercial business district. All of the world's cultures are represented. They're coming to do business here. And think of the different views and, and ideas that came right through this gate. And across the square is what many think was the school of Tyrannus, where philosophers would gather and debate. Paul was here for two years. And where do you think he positioned himself? Right here. Every single day here, exchanging the truth of Jesus with philosophers and academics and travelers. Most would have been afraid, like in our day, afraid to take Jesus into the academic centers, to the intellects, to the philosophers, to the different worldviews. He wanted to take Jesus to the world so Jesus could change the world. origins of our faith literally flows out of the stories of real people, people who existed and walked on this planet just as we do in our day. And when God chose to reveal himself to us, he, he didn't send a list of cold, hard facts for us to know and memorize and follow. Instead, he sent warm-blooded people that we could watch and hear from and relate to. He, he used their lives and their stories and their interaction with him on this planet to bring his truth to life for us so that we could really understand it in relevant ways. Well, this weekend, we get to dig into one of the great stories of the origins of the church. And it's really important to the origins of the church, and yet I find that most people don't even know that the story's in the Bible. It, it, it took place in a city called Ephesus, and it highlights one of the early heroes of the church, a guy named Paul. Now, Ephesus was one of the largest and most important cities in what was then called Asia Minor, its modern-day Turkey today, and it was home to around 250,000 people, about a quarter of a million people lived there, and it was celebrated for, for so many things. It was celebrated for art and architecture. In the video, you saw some of the remains of that. And it was, it was known for entertainment and education and for its commerce. It was economically rich. And it was known for its very diversified religions. I mean, there were 20 different kinds of temples in the city during this day. It was a city that offered a significant amount of luxuries. A lot of times people today don't understand it, but they had, they had running water. They had, and get this one, inside toilets, crazy stuff. They had, they had fountains and gardens and streets literally paved with marble, and, and they had one of the world's great theaters. As a major port city, it welcomed people from all around the world with different philosophies and from different cultures. It was very cosmopolitan. It was, it was very much like, if you want a reference point, of modern-day 
New York City. If, if you made an impact in Ephesus, a name for yourself, it's a good chance you made an impact around the world. And it was to this city that Paul came. And he came for one reason, to share Jesus, to, to build one of the first churches. And, and here's how the story began. I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to read through Acts 19, and we're going to look at this and see this story unfold. Beginning in verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, this is another man of God, was in another city, Paul took the road through the interior, and he arrived at Ephesus. There he is in this city. There, once there, he found some disciples. Now, the word disciple simply means learner of or follower, and when you see it, you often think disciple of Christ, but they weren't yet disciples of Christ. Look, look at how the story unfolds. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit from God when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied, referring to John the Baptist. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's. Okay, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people, once they repented and followed him, that he was here to proclaim another who would soon come. And, and he told people to believe in the one coming after him. That is to believe in Jesus. On hearing this, they were immediately baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. They embraced this truth. They followed Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. This was a, an early day sign of, of the manifestation of God in their lives. And it says there were about 12 men in all. And then, after these 12 men became followers of Jesus, Paul entered the synagogue. There was a Jewish community here in Ephesus that had left Israel and come here, and they built a place to meet and talk about God. And, and Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, and he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. He was, he was saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one you're looking for. But, but some of them became obstinate, obviously rejecting the message of Jesus. They refused to believe, and they started publicly attacking or maligning the way. The way was an early term for Christianity. Jesus had said, I am the way, and so these people were called people of the way. And they started maligning them and attacking them, and so what did Paul do? Paul left them. And he took the disciples, those who had been followers of John, disciples of John, and now they were disciples of Jesus. He took them with him, and he had discussions, daily conversations in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. There in the city center of Ephesus during the video, I said it could have been right there to the left. Many think it was. It might not have been, but it was obviously a lecture hall. And back then, people would gather in community centers and places specifically designed to have conversations about, about philosophy and views of life and religion and culture. And so Paul went into the center of philosophical conversation in Ephesus, and he started every single day having conversations about Jesus, this one they had never heard of. And look at what verse 10 says. This went on for two years. For two years, every single day, he would meet and hold conversations with these people. Now, it's interesting to me the kinds of people that Paul met as he came into Ephesus, and it's important for us to view it. I, I group them into three categories. The, the first group of people he met were the spiritually open. They were spiritually open. They 
They didn't know the truth about Jesus, but they were open and seeking spiritually, and they were doing the best they could with what truth they had. I mean, they had heard about John the Baptist, so they were opening themselves up to that and following that. And now when they heard about Jesus, what they do, they, they accepted Jesus and started following him. They were spiritually open. They were hungry for God. They knew what they were missing. They wanted to find him, and they opened themselves to him. But then he met a second group of people. And let's call these people the spiritually closed they were the spiritually closed people. And what's interesting about it, these are the people who claimed God, the same God Paul was preaching about, only in Jesus' name. And these were the people who claimed God's word, the, the, the Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. These were the people who, who claimed the prophets who, who actually prophesied about Messiah to come. And they had built a place for God. And he went in and he says, man, the, the prophecies have come true. Jesus is here. And he started talking about the way. And what did they do? They rejected the very God that they claimed to follow. And they started maligning him. And they were spiritually close. They, they loved their religion, but they weren't interested in or open to the truth. Boy, there are people like that everywhere, aren't they? They, they say the words and sing the songs, but they're not really open to God interacting with their lives. And Paul responded to them how Jesus taught his disciples to respond. He said, when you go into a city and people reject the message, just shake the dust off your feet and take off. Well, that's what Paul did. Paul left them. He said, okay, I'm going to go share it with people who are more open. He gave them an opportunity because God loves them, but when they closed the door, he went on because as the old saying says, you know, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. We don't have to try and keep convincing them because we can tell them the truth and if they don't open to it, well, then we move on. And then there was this third group of people, the spiritually blind. The spiritually open followed immediately. The spiritual closed. They, they rejected straight out, but the spiritually blind didn't know anything, didn't care. They, they were living in the secular now. They were, they were just living their lives. They didn't know about a, a God or eternity. They didn't know about things they couldn't see. They were just living their lives and doing the best they could. They, they weren't open spiritually. They weren't closed spiritually. They were blind. And this is often the majority of people really in the world. They, they're just blind to spiritual truth. And Paul talks a lot about them. In fact, look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says that the God of this age, that's speaking of the evil one, the one who has sadly created the philosophies and, and valuelessness of our culture, the God of this age, the one who's ruling this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They're literally spiritually blind so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They're, they're blind. They can't see the truth. Well, Paul had a real heart for these people, and it shows in Ephesus. I mean, how, how long... Did he spend with the open? Well, not long because, I mean, he just told them about Jesus. They followed and then he discipled them. And how long did he stay with the closed? Three months. And they didn't believe. They rejected flat out and so he left. How long did he stay with the, the blind? Two years every single day having conversations trying to open their hearts to the truth. Paul's experience in Ephesus is extremely relevant to us today because it reveals to us the kind of people in our world and around us, you know, all around us are the spiritually open. People so hungry, but they don't know. And they need to find the true Jesus. And then they're the spiritually closed. Very often they're sitting in places like this, very, very religious, saying all the right words, looking like the right kind of people, but 
they have no desire to really interact with God at all in their lives and then all around are the spiritually blind and I'm just kind of curious two thoughts which one are you spiritually open spiritually closed spiritually blind and and have you ever thought about the people around you in the marketplace and your family and your community what are they if you don't know how in the world are you going to approach them they're all around us now here's the thing that grabs me about Paul no matter where Paul was or who he met, he always did the exact same thing. It didn't matter if the people were open, closed, blind. It didn't matter wherever he was, in the marketplace, in the city of Ephesus, or in the synagogue. Do you, do you know what he always did? He shared Jesus. That's what he did. He, he didn't talk about the NFL game or the Michigan game or the Michigan State game. He didn't talk about those things. He talked about what? Jesus the most important thing he could talk about. He shared Jesus. It was his whole deal. It defined his life. And interestingly, it wasn't his vocation. A lot of people think it was his vocation. It's how he made his living. No. He made his living by creating tents for people to live in. I mean, that's what he did vocationally. And yet he used all of his free time, every ounce of it, to go to different places, to different people, to share Jesus. It's what made his life. It's what made his story so impacting. You, you, you can't be so faithful to God and you can't share Jesus like he did so much without experiencing some amazing things. And as we continue in the story of Ephesus in Acts 19, we want to we look at the amazing things that God did in his life, the, the crazy and significant impact that Paul made because everywhere he went, he shared Jesus. So let's keep going. Look at, look at verse 10. Because he shared Jesus everywhere he went, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, not just Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor, but, but all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Jews and Gentiles alike. Everyone heard the word of the Lord, heard about Jesus. Now this is interesting. Do you realize that even the spiritually open when Paul went into Ephesus didn't know about Jesus? And now everybody, open, closed, blind, had heard the word of Jesus. Why? Because of Paul. Within two years, one person can change the world. One person. I looked at a, a map of the entire globe this morning and I pulled out modern day Turkey and where Ephesus was and Paul, one man, is responsible for the name Jesus being around the globe because he was committed to sharing Jesus wherever he was with whoever he met. That's challenging, isn't it? Look at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. If you're faithful to God, he's going to do things through you. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even, this is just crazy bizarre, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. I mean, God allowed his power to be so evident through Paul that even things Paul touched could then offer healing and amazing spiritual impact in the lives of other people. God showed up because Paul was faithful. And can I tell you, God always shows up when people are faithful. Doesn't always show up in the same ways. Doesn't do the same crazy stuff. But he always shows up. He promised it. In Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples and and baptized them. Isn't that what Paul did? He came into the city and he taught them about Jesus, made disciples, and he baptized them. And then he taught them everything they're supposed to do to obey him. That's exactly what he lived for. And what did Jesus say next? He says, as you do that, 
I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you know why Jesus isn't often revealing himself in our lives? It's because we aren't, like Paul, faithfully fulfilling his command in our life. It's just showing up. I mean, so powerful. Even these handkerchiefs and aprons, it's crazy. But can I tell you, these miracles that happened with Paul were unique to Paul. They weren't intended to be copied, and yet isn't it amazing that you see these TV preachers and radio preachers and evangelists all over, you know, trying to sell you their handkerchiefs, saying that they've prayed over them and you bring them there and it's going to bring healing, you know, put your hand on the TV. What a load of stuff. And by the way, um, I do offer my own line of handkerchiefs and aprons in the resource center here. Now, it's a joke. Stop falling for it. Look at verse 13. Remember, he's sharing Jesus everywhere, so there's a big impact. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They, they watched Paul, and Paul, in the name of Jesus, was, was, you know, man, seeing evil spirits out and seeing lives changed, and they go, we want that kind of power. We don't want Jesus, but we want that kind of power. These are the same people that maligned the way and rejected Jesus. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want God, but they wanted Paul's power, and so they started just using his formula, you know, his magic religious formula, and they would actually say, in the name of Jesus, and I love this, whom Paul preaches... You know, in the name of, well, Jesus, Paul's God, that guy, that guy. I command you to come out. And then it, it tells who they were. Example, seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish, a Jewish chief priest, they were all doing this. But then I, I, I love this affirmation of Paul. One day, remember God controls even the evil spirits and keeps bounds on them and margins on them and hedges them about. Read the book of Job for inf inf info on that. And, and one day, God took the margins away and the evil spirit answered, you know, these people who were using the name of Jesus but didn't know Jesus. They said, Jesus I know. These are evil spirits. Jesus I know. And I know about Paul. But who the heck are you? This is an evil spirit. And then look at this. Is, this is a great story. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding, the very first biblical example of streaking right there. I mean, they're going nuts. This is hilarious stuff. Don't play games with Jesus. They were playing him. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted his power. They loved power and attention that Paul was getting, and they tried to use religion to get there, and it did not work. Spiritual truth is real. Don't play games with it or you could be in serious trouble. That's what's going on here. But what I really love is that, is that God affirmed Paul. When you get past all the crazy stuff, God affirmed Paul. He said, you're, you're truly representing me. Just as the evil spirits know Jesus, so the evil spirits know you. And, and I'm going to, I'll, I'll reveal the fakes. You just keep naming the name of Jesus. You just have to love this. I'm, I'm curious, and I ask this of myself. When was the last time God affirmed me like that? When was the last time he affirmed you?
The story goes on. Look at verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus about Jesus and about the power and all this, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Do you know what? You can't be so devoted to God and be so committed to speaking Jesus without God honoring that. He came into a town where even the spiritually open didn't know Jesus, and now everyone doesn't just know Jesus. They're holding Jesus in high honor. They're not all accepting him. But they realize there's power in this name. This isn't something to be played with. And, and Jesus' name is high. And you know, that's where life begins. Life begins when our lives lift up the name of our Creator, of Jesus. That's when life begins. That's when the world changes. What's going on in your world? What's going on in my world? When we walk into our marketplace setting, when we walk into our community, when we walk into our family settings, is the name of Jesus more revered or less or not changed at all? It's the reaction. This guy's amazing. Look at, look at verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confess their evil deeds. I mean, Paul pointed out the truth, and the truth helped reveal their guilt and their sin and their bad behavior and their shame, and they repented of that, and they turned to Jesus for forgiveness. And it was dramatic. Verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery, I mean, you know, I mean, they were all the way down on the evil scale, and they were just practicing evil witchcraft and sorcery and, and all that. A number of them came to Christ. Their lives were transformed, and so they brought their scrolls, you know, their little evil books together, and they burned them publicly. We're going to get rid of the evil, and we're going to follow Jesus. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls that were being burnt because of Jesus... The total came to 50,000 drachmas. Do you know how much that is? Either do I. I have no clue. I mean, you can read Wikipedia and go on. They're going to make, you know, people don't even know if it's really silver or if it's gold. It's not compared to the day's drive. I mean, but you can believe anything you want to believe, but we don't really know. But this we do know it was a lot. Because if it wasn't, God wouldn't have included it in here. I mean, it totaled up to the 50,000 drachmas. Well, that means they literally burnt their entire wealth, that which they lived for, because Jesus had changed their lives so dramatically that they decided that silver and gold they didn't want anymore. They wanted the name of Jesus. It changed everything about them. And you know what's happening here? Because Paul was... Speaking Jesus everywhere he went, to everyone he met, being rejected by some, being embraced by others, being ignored by others. Do you know what God did? God started changing lives dramatically. And that always happens. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to change lives to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile alike, and it's going on here. I'm just wondering how many lives are changing around us as individuals, because we're the church, not bricks and mortar. As How many lives are changing around? How many lives are changing around here? Is it so dramatic? Because when Jesus is at the center, the world starts changing. Lives start changing. Look at verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That which had no influence in this part of the world at all became unbelievably powerful. In fact, do you realize that the truth of Jesus Christ at this time rejected in the Roman Empire ultimately conquered the Roman Empire? And how did that happen? Because there was this guy 
who spoke Jesus everywhere he went. Verse 21, after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Now, what we have here is we have kind of a break. It's really weird. It's going from talking about the story of him there to all of a sudden telling us what's in his mind. And, and he was a guy, remember, that liked to be around the spiritually blind. He liked to make the message known where the message wasn't known. And, and he's watching the whole world change and everybody see it and the word of God spread. So, so he says, after all this happened, Paul decided he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, and he says, after I've been there, he said, then I'm going to go to Rome also. I'm going to share Jesus in all these places. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia just a little longer. He was going to stay just a little longer. And so because the impact was so big, he started saying, God, where do you want me to go next? But before he could move on to these other areas, Macedonia and Rome, before he could he move on, some more crazy was in store for him. After all, you, you can't share Jesus in a world of darkness, in a world of, of spiritually closed people and spiritually blind people, you can't share Jesus without creating a disturbance. It's going to create disturbance. You see, where there's movement, there's always friction. And so because he was sharing Jesus, he was creating a disturbance. And I believe very often we live in a world with no disturbance around us because we live in a world where we don't throw Jesus into the mix. But he threw Jesus in everywhere, so there was disturbance. And you see, it's easy for the enemy to ignore someone who's not making advancements, but it's impossible for the enemy to ignore someone who's advancing. And Paul was advancing for the kingdom of God, and so the enemy started attacking him. Great disturbances happened. Look at verse 23, Acts 19. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Paul was the representative of the way, and, and there was a disturbance. And, and here's what happened, verse 24. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He was kind of like the the president of the, of the Chamber of Commerce, okay? He kind of led all the craftsmen who made idols in this particular area. His name's Demetrius. Remember him. I'm going to come back to him. But he was doing it for the shrine. He was making shrines, silver shrines of Artemis. The temple of Artemis, which was in Ephesus here, was huge. It was 450 feet long or so, 220 feet wide or so, and it had about 120 60-foot columns all the way around it. It was considered one of the ancient days, seven wonders of the world. And the worship of Artemis was at the center of the economy and culture of Ephesus. Very, very important. So when Paul started saying, Artemis isn't God, Jesus is God, it created a disturbance. So verse 25, Demetrius called all the silversmiths together, everyone who made their living by making these idols, along with the workmen and related trades, and this is what he said. Men, you know we receive a good income. Remember that, Demetrius, good income. You know we make a good income from this business, this religion business, this false gods business that we're in. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Not only are they burning their sorcery books, but they're getting rid of their idols and they're not buying anymore. Not good for our business. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Can you believe that? <laughs> and then he goes on. And he says, there is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, we will stop making money, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. Do you know where the temple of Artemis is now? In rubble. Why? 
because Jesus. People there at that time started realizing Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So Demetrius was a bit of a prophet here. Look at verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and they rushed as one man into the theater. This is the Grand Theater of Ephesus. It looks spectacular now, but back in the day of the Apostle Paul, it was second only to the Colosseum in Rome. You can see right by this theater, the, the boulevard that would lead to the port, and the port was right there, closer to the city of Ephesus in that day, and this was just an amazing place, but it has a ton of biblical relevance. Paul the Apostle came here. This wasn't a place that knew about the one God. It was a place that worshiped all kinds of deities. To come and lift up someone else's God was a scary thing to do but not for Paul. And after two years of engaging culture, after two years of lifting up the one true God, he became an unbelievable threat because multitudes started following Jesus here. And a great part of the economy here in Ephesus was, was made through building idols to the gods, whether Domitian or Artemis. And the silversmiths, started losing money on their gods, on their idols, because too many people were following Paul's message, following Jesus. And right in this place, a riot erupted. It holds 25,000 people. And imagine those 25,000 voices were erupting, saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, the roar of that many people in this place would have been heard miles and miles away and they did it for two plus hours and Paul being as courageous as he was wanted to come and address the crowd they wanted to kill him he wanted to use it as a time to tell them about Jesus but his disciples wouldn't let him so as I stand in this theater and think about that historical echo of those tens of thousands of voices screaming against the Jesus of Paul I, I I'm just challenged by his boldness, I really am, that he was bold enough to want to stand in front of that crowd and still speak Jesus. It, I wonder, what, what are people chanting as a result of our life? I'm so challenged with that question. What are people chanting as a result of our lives? What are people chanting about us as the result of how we live? Are they chanting at all? Here's the reality. You, you can't share Jesus like Paul did without leaving an impact. And to be honest, though I really don't want my life to create riots and all that stuff, I mean that's not what I want. I do want to experience Jesus like he did. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to reveal himself through you? Wouldn't you love to experience his fullness and his power in your life? Wouldn't you love to experience the reality of his promises? Well, I mean, wouldn't you love to no longer say something's missing? That's where Paul was. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want your life to make the kind of impact that Paul's life made? Or, I mean, people were different because he lived? 
I mean, I want that for me. I don't, don't you wish that your life could count for eternity like his life did? You know, God has all of his pictures, all of our pictures in his wallet. You know that, right? His wallet's huge. At any rate, but he, he, he loves us that much. He's our father. He's the one that created us, and, and he cares about us. But you know, when he looks at a picture or shows our picture, he doesn't always have great stories to share. But when he showed Paul's picture, he was able to tell this story. Don't you want him to have a story that puts a smile on his face to tell about your life? I do. Well, if you're like me, then I think it's vital that we look at what compelled Paul. I mean, you have to think about it. I mean, this is all about motivation. He got up in the morning, even though he made his living a different way, he got up in the morning every single day of his life and he took the message of Jesus into the world to people who reacted in all kinds of different ways. Every single day of his life he did it. He was thrown in prison because of it. He was rejected. Riots like this. I mean, and he kept doing it. What motivated Paul? Well, the good news is he told us. Now look at the whole point of this entire chapter, the whole impact in our lives comes down to this moment. You know what motivated him? 2 Corinthians 5.14. He said it. Christ's love compels us. He was talking about why he shared Christ and why he went through all the things he went through. And he says, it's because Jesus' love compels me. And we should have known. This is what Jesus said would motivate his true followers to serve him, to live for him, to stand for him. Look at John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll obey what I command. I mean, all you have to do this look at Paul and go, man, he must love Jesus because look at him live a life of obedience. He's going and making disciples and baptizing and teaching the truth of Jesus and he's experiencing the presence of Jesus. He, boy, he must love him. And because Paul was genuinely compelled by Christ's love, he was, he was so committed to obeying Jesus that he, his life was really predictable. Because look at Acts chapter 26 where Paul's telling the story of what Jesus said to him when, when he finally opened his life and was transformed by Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am sending you to them and he's talking to the Gentiles, to the people who don't know me, to the spiritually blind, to the people who have been blinded by the God of this age. I'm sending you to them, Jesus says, to do what? To open their eyes. Why did he spend two years with the spiritually blind in Ephesus? Because Jesus had said, I'm sending you to the spiritually blind so that you can help open their eyes. And what does he do? He goes to the spiritually blind to help them open their eyes to spiritual truth. Why? Because when you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. And that's what he did. And he says, I'm doing this so they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And we know about Jesus today because he was willing to love Jesus so much that he obeyed him. And he lived his life seeking to open people's eyes to the truth of Jesus. And here's the truth I want you to see this weekend. I mean, please, I just, whatever you do, don't miss this truth because it defines your whole world. The story of our lives will be determined by what we love most The story of our lives is going to be determined by what we love the most. In fact, let me say it a little bit more personally. The story your life is telling right now is a story of what you love the most. Do you remember Demetrius? I told you to remember him. What did he love most? Money. Not Artemis. Not his idols. His money. And Paul was getting into it. 
So what was the story of Demetrius' life? I don't care about truth or God. I care about money, and this guy's getting in the way. Let's take him out. Whereas Paul said, I love Jesus, and so his whole life was about Jesus. Here's the big question. What do you love the most? And then what do you say? I mean, we're in church, right? What are the people in the synagogue, the spiritually closed people? Oh, we love God. Love God's Word, the Bible. But what's the story of your life? saying you love the most? What's at the center of your story, determining the direction of your choices, the thing you naturally talk about when you're with people? You know, when Paul was with people, the first thing he wanted to talk about was Jesus because that's who he loved the most. What's the first thing you talk about with people? This is challenging to me. The story of my life is going to be determined by what I love the most. If, if Jesus is going to be the center of my story, if I'm going to know his promises, his life and fullness, if I'm, going to, if I'm going to be used for impact, then I have to love him most. And you know Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Look at Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know what Jesus is saying, right? Look, you should love your father and mother. You should love your sons and daughters, for sure. But if you love them more than me, your story will be more about them than me. And if your story's more about them than me, then your story's not the right story. In fact, your kids and your parents will never be benefited by your love if you've made your story about them more than about Jesus which is the problem with our lives and our world. What do you love the most? What's your story say? I, I, just, I just want to end with two questions. The first question is, have you ever experienced the love of Jesus that transformed Paul's life? Have you ever experienced that? And then do you know about it? Do you sing about it? Were you raised in religion? Did you go to catechism? Did you take your first communion? Those are fine. Have you ever experienced the love of Jesus that's transformed your life? That was willing to throw away everything you had lived before, for before, like the sorcerers that came to faith and, and start living for Jesus instead. Have you ever experienced that love? If not, that's what you need. That's where fullness is going to come from. Look at 1 John 4, 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God so loved you that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin and guilt. He died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, and then he rose again so you could be forgiven and have a new life. That's a love that can transform your life, but until you experience that love, you're never going to really live. That's what you need. That's what we all need. And so just before I finish this talk, and I have one last question that I believe can define the whole talk for most of us, but just before we do, I'm going to ask if you just, just honor the moment and bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. And for those of you at our regionals, I, I just want to encourage you to do the same if you're watching online. Just bow just for a moment. And if you've never experienced the love of Jesus in your life, he's knocking really loud on your life right now. Just open the door. Just take my words in your heart and say to God, I'm guilty. I've sinned against you, but I need you, and I want you. And so I, I repent of, I leave behind my sin and my bad choices, and I turn to Jesus.
And Jesus, by faith, I receive the power of your death and resurrection for my forgiveness and new life. Change me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you, please let us know. We've put together a letter we'd like to get you that tells you about next steps you can take in God. And if you're in one of our live services, all you have to do is take the program out, and there's this connection card. We make it so easy to communicate with us about anything you're dealing with. But if you just prayed with me, check that circle at the bottom of this thing. Fill this out, and there are boxes at the exits of all of our gathering places, and we'll send you some information about next steps. But if you're watching online, hit the What Next button. We'll do the same for you. But for the rest of us, once we've experienced Jesus' love, you know it's possible to have experienced Jesus' love, be profoundly motivated by his love, and then kind of start loving other things more again? Did you know that that's possible? In fact, Jesus showed up to the church to, and spoke a word to the church of Ephesus. You know this church where, where Paul showed them this kind of love and they fell in love with Jesus and they started living for Jesus and they changed the world of Ephesus and the temple of Artemis came down. I mean, you know, the, these people that loved Jesus so much, they, they burnt their businesses so that they could follow him. I mean, they were amazing. Their story was being determined by their love, but then Jesus shows up a while later and look what he says to this church in Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. You used to live for me profoundly. Your story was amazing, but you have fallen from it. Repent and do the things you did at first. Make me your first love again. You see, their story changed because their love changed. And you know, the truth about many of us is our story has changed because our love has changed in the wrong direction. And the question I have for you, the question that challenges me having stood in Ephesus is, is Jesus still my first love? Is Jesus still your first love? If he's not, you're not going to love life like you long to love life. You're not going to love God like you long to love God. You're not going to experience God like you long to experience God. But all of that can change if you change your love again because our stories are determined by what we love the most. Let's make Jesus first, and then we'll experience him the most. Make sense? It'll change the world. It'll change us. Now, just before we get out of here, I, I want to encourage you um, in a couple of ways. If, you, if you've recently made a decision for Jesus, or you're on this journey of knowing Jesus more, but you find that you don't know enough... We have this great thing called starting point here. It's the groups where you can supercharge your understanding of truth. And, and if you've never taken starting point, we have a new cycle starting this weekend, actually. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. And in, in the lobby of all of our gathering places this weekend, they're meeting, and you can sign up for that. We'd love for you to be a part of starting point. Also, if God's working in your life and you, you have questions you'd like to ask or someone you'd like someone to pray with you, we have prayer teams in all of our campuses here at Plymouth, in all of our campuses. All you do is come front to the front, sit down when everyone else is leaving, and our prayer team would love to spend some time with you answering questions and praying. And finally, one last thing. It's been announced in Discover Northridge videos. It's been announced in the program. But it's really relevant to this talk. This talk's about sharing Jesus in a world that doesn't know Jesus. And we have an event coming up, which is one of the greatest ways to share Jesus that we have as a church during the year. And, and if you care at all about sharing the message of Jesus with people, 
I want to encourage you to be a part of this. It's the glory of Christmas. And the glory of Christmas is all about telling the story of Jesus in a relevant way, in a compelling way to people who've not heard of Jesus or they might have heard of him but they aren't living for him. And, and every year nearly 30,000 people come to this thing and every year nearly 60 to 70 percent of them are here for the very first time because we don't want just other churches gathering here for celebrating Christmas in a different location. We want people finding Jesus here at Christmas every year. And the only way we know to do that is you need to get the right people inviting the right people. And so every year we open up ticket sales for the glory of Christmas first to those of you who attend Northridge because we trust that you will invite the people who need to hear the message of Jesus, that you'll buy them tickets and get them here. And, and that time is right now. It's going to go public this coming week. And I just really want to encourage you, please buy tickets for people who need Jesus. Please do whatever it takes to get them here so they can hear the name of Jesus. And there's special codes that you, I think they've been shown on the screen already. You can call the church if you're a part of North Church. We'd love for you to do that. Let's change our world by sharing Jesus with everyone we know. Let's create a disturbance that this world will never forget, but God will tell the story of one day. And it won't be Paul, it'll be us. It won't be the church of Ephesus, it'll be the church of Northridge, and we'll get to go. We were there, that was us. What a celebration. So glad you're here. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.